Let's, uh, let's be thankful. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for today and we're grateful for the freedoms you give us. We're grateful for this kind of congregation that primarily here because of your son and our love for him and his love for us, not because we are a church. We're grateful for all the good things you've done for us. We'd ask that we would be faithful to your word um, and we'd be a great example for what Christians can be like. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's the last part of 2 Peter. And I'm not, uh, you say, oh golly, that whole side is filled with text. And look, the other side is filled with small text. I know that can be disheartening. But you've had coffee. You've got nowhere to be. You're probably not going to eat lunch because of all the treats you're going to eat at the Super Bowl, wherever you're going to have it, celebrate it. It's one of the high. It's also Groundhog Day, which probably everybody forgot, even though it was on the church calendar as a truly um, church holiday versus Super Bowl. Get the last of the infidels roll in. Peter says, now this, this is now the second letter that I have written to you, beloved. And in both of them I have aroused your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Well, it's, it's nice. He lets you know he's in 2 Peter. He knows he wrote 1 Peter. That's good. He's keeping track. He's written, if you go back and look at 1 Peter, it was written to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Bithynia, etc., etc., up there in the northern part, north, central, eastern part of uh, Asia Minor. And with, you know, when you look through some things, that I'm not even saying that Peter was wanting to make this point, but certain words get used, and he didn't use them unadvisedly. He picked them because there was some concept in it that you should be picking up. But I don't want to stress it too much. But he says he wanted to remind, arouse your sincere mind. If anything in your Christian walk, you've heard me say before, you will learn what you deserve to learn. Okay? You're, you're going to seek God or you're not. And, and us having a drum set up here is not going to make you seek God more. Or me wearing a more fashionable get-up. I thought wearing wingtips would be really impressive. Hymns with wingtips on. I mean, I am my father. You're going you're gonna to learn what you think you need to learn. You're going to go after what you think you need to go after. But we want to be the kind of church, especially the ones who are attracted to being here, ought not be because it's the cool kids club or it's because of the worship service or because of the, we've got a building and it's actually semi-heated. But because you seek God sincerely. You have a mind that wants to know something. 
and you've got to find some answers. Not that there aren't answers in other bodies of believers. There are. It's good teaching. Uh, though some of these pastors in town, good men, doing their part of the kingdom. But you're here, hopefully, because your sincere mind is wanting sincere answers. You want to have that part of you aroused to do something that you should remember. Peter was writing to get them worked up in their sincerity to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So, before you get all interested in the predictions, there's sort of a end timesy aspect to this passage, which we're not going to go after. But people can't uh, talk about prophets without, you know, and predictions without some kind of interest there. But I first go back, check your mind. Is it a mind too? Is it sincere? Because, first of all, you must understand this, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own passions and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. And now, even if we might not be in those last days that Peter was talking about, because he may have been talking about people he knew, that even by then, at the end of the first century, of Peter, well, Peter dies about 60 68, somewhere in there. 68 B.C. So, maybe 30 years after the death of Jesus. He might be thinking, this is the latter days. Or he's looking forward to a latter days that, that he fully assumes that it's going to be not happening as people were anticipating it happening. And there are going to be, in the latter days, people who shove their hands in their pockets, chewing gum, probably with a toothpick, you know, going, just saying, where's this Jesus? Where's this second coming you were talking about? There's people who scoff. That's, if you're going to be aroused in your sincere mind to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment <coughs> of the Lord and Savior. The first thing you need to understand is you're not going to be viewed very respectfully, especially now, 2,000 years later. 2,000 years, yeah, that's a long time. That's one third of the human history, depending on your view. One third of human history waiting The scoffers are really going to get worked up at this point. But you were told to expect this. First of all, you must understand that. It's one of the predictions. Actually, this is, this is confusing because this is a prediction of one of the holy apostles, not one of the holy prophets. The apostles making the prediction that you're going to have to put up with people going, and he's where? And your rapture happens when? And so Christians trying to fix that. Honestly, you know, God doesn't come through like he ought to. How many times in history, Christian history, 
has some honest dear soul written a book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return Before 1988. Remember 1988? Some of you weren't alive in 1988. But there was a book that came out. Remember that, Roy? Black, black and red cover? A white and red cover. It just had 88 reasons why the Lord's going to return by 1988. And it didn't happen, as you know. And uh, then another book came out, Oops, um, We Meant 1989. We saw it with the, uh, what's the guy? Camping, Harold Camping. It was, what was it, two years ago? There was the whole, the whole um, thing that created the Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Great Disappointment in 1848. People standing on their roof in white robes. Have you gotten that far? Because when the scoffers are sitting there, because they have a toothpick in their mouth, and they're pretty self-sure, where is the promise of his coming? And it's just getting more and more scoffy as time goes on. So Christians act more and more idiotic, trying to make the promise more vividly there. Well, first, let's understand the scoffers. They are following their passions, right? It says that's in bold type. Peter put it in bold type so that you would notice it. What is this all about? What's the scoffing all about? If you're, you're told to understand the scoffing. You're told to expect this kind of treatment, which has, as a good necessary consequence, the Lord not returning. Right? If Peter tells you to expect the scoffers in the last days, the, pre the, the, the premise that underlines it is that the Christians are living in a world in which the Lord has not returned yet. Some people, why do they scoff? Well, because they have passions. Once, mockery is a great way. And Christians have made it easy to mock believing claims about the end times especially. People want to have it be something vivid. You know, the, have you heard of the Apocalypse, uh, the Revelation of John, the Apostle? Um, you know, the beast, 666, ten heads, seven heads, something. A few heads. One beast has some horns. Some people are literalists about the prophecies. They want these things to happen. They would like, thank you very much, a dragon with seven heads to rise out of the Mediterranean, then we would know that the prophecies of John were real. They want it vivid, they want it imminent, they want it to be direct. Because, excuse me, I have passions that I would like to be obeying right now. I would like to be doing what I want, and you had better pony up, oh God, with a pretty direct fulfillment that I cannot deny because I really want to do what I want to do because they're following their own passions and so they're making, they say, God, jump through this hoop 
and I'm going to make this hoop look really at a silly level. When you start to realize how clear, how clearly in the revelation of John or some of the other prophetic passages, the images are images. I like to tell people, is Jesus Christ a lamb in glory with a wound? Because that's what he is in the revelation. He's also a humanoid figure with a sword coming out of his mouth, which is a symbol. So is the lamb. Now, not that there aren't literal things that John saw, but they literally meant something. Not to, for you to expect, a, again, a, a, a vivid and imminent dragon coming up out of the sea. But if you need to have those loud fulfillments, obvious, just tell me who's going to win the Super Bowl and I might know that you are God. Because you want to be proved so that you'll be able to sit on your lusts for a little bit. The second aspect is they're talking about the delay. One, they're following their passions. Two, they're talking about a delay. When people who have passions start talking about, hey, how come he's not here? He's not here yet. Usually when that's happening at a party, they're waiting for somebody. Hey, say he's not here yet. That means basically, can we do what we want to do? Rather than waiting for him, whoever he is, or whatever he wants to do. Can we do what we want to do? Luke 12, 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. That's out of the middle of one of the Lord's parables. Out of delay, people think the distance of time or geography from the authority, they they award themselves the authority. This is the danger. First of all, excuse me, you must understand that there are people who are pointing to the distance between God's authority and their own authority, and when they would like to have you question God's, he's waiting too long to do stuff, he's too far away. This is what deism is all about, right? You know what deists are? People who believe kind of God started up the whole thing and he's gone. Now what's great about deism is it answers a lot of the philosophic problems that atheism doesn't, right? Atheism, ah, nothing is, uh, we have to be nihilists. They don't have any reason for thinking. So you gotta get a god, but you really don't want an invasive god, so you wanna put God at the furthest possible remove from you. He started it all, made it all, went away. Not kind of an insistent god. Not the hairy thunderer of the Old Testament. Not the God that Mark read about this morning, who knows you right, truly. In an amazing way. You want to put God at a distance. You want to have God not be real to you. And only if he is ludicrously real... If he writes my name in the heavens, or if he makes this prophecy come true so exactly that I can see that it really is the Antichrist, and he asked the number 666 on my hand, then I'll believe. 
They're fighting. They're wanting to have control of themselves. They want what they want. They deliberately, verse 5, ignore this fact. That by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth formed out of water, and by means of water, through which the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Okay? He just summed up 1,700 years, okay? approximately 4,000 B.C., the biblical date for the creation. You might don't have to agree with that. It's not church position. Just what it says. 4,000 B.C., 1,700 years later, Noah and the flood. They deliberately ignore this fact. Now, in, in Peter's day, everybody believed in the flood. Everybody believed in the creation. You know, it depends on what religion, what gods, and what was up to it. Now, whether did, did you make the heavens out of the skin of Tiamat, the sea goddess, or did you make the heavens like God says in the scriptures, but they believed that there was a creation, and all of them believed there was a flood myth. You read it in Gilgamesh, you can read it in uh, Ovid's Metamorphoses. Um, stories largely the same. Righteous couple get saved from the flood because of the wickedness of men that God brought on the wicked men because of blah, blah, blah. And people ignore that fact. That God, out of water, if you read the creation, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, the water, the ocean. The deep was there. The water was there. God made the earth. And then, with water, caused it to perish. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist have been stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Now, Peter's just saying this, of course, but, you know, because you need to be aroused by the way you're in your sincere minds, by way of reminder about the commandment of our Lord, we also look, look here at John 1.1. 1, 1. It's on the left-hand side. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was, the word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So remember that when you read verse 5 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter. By the word of God, heavens existed long ago. Christ, the word of God, creator of all things. By the same word, verse 7, Let's read Matthew 3 here on the left-hand side. Even now, this is John the Baptist speaking. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am unworthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
That's the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the apostle, the last, excuse me, the last prophet of the Old Testament age, John the Baptist, declared. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets. Remember the commandment of the Lord. Either his righteousness in repentance or the fire. Either being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being wonderfully changed, or being baptized with fire. And the fire part's not a a good creation, but the same word, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist have been stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. This is supposed to arise you by ray of reminder, right? You've got sincere minds. You, you, you're not thinking too much about the Super Bowl right now. Because even if it were your birthday, my birthdays, I have a birthday this year. And I think you should prepare yourself. It is my 60th. God permitting, I will live until then. I will have a Byzantine party. You're all invited to bury me in gold. It will be, uh, it will be celebrating my 60 decades, 60 decades, six decades. It will be my birthday. I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't care. It's going to be on my birthday. I don't care if you're busy. I don't care if you've got stuff to do the next day. It will be written in legend that you were not there. But what if church was on that day? What if it was a Sunday? My 60th birthday. And I'm going to have a party. You know, I'm clasping my pudgy hands together when I roll out of bed in the morning. It's my, I get to go to church. We've got a lot of passions that we want to be thinking about, even if it was your birthday, even if it's the Super Bowl, even if it's Groundhog Day, even if you just found out the really cute girl likes you. Wednesday. Wednesday? The really cute girl likes you Wednesday? (laughs) Uh, My birthday is on a Wednesday. Woden's Day, appropriately. Wednesday. Okay, prepare yourselves. It's in October. Our sincere minds, in spite of all these other things that are going on, the things we enjoy, I'm going to enjoy watching the game today. I think the Broncos are going to win, but I'm rooting for the Seahawks. That's my policy. I want the Seahawks to win, Peyton Manning is a football god. Okay? Just, just saying. But I will be so happy if the Seahawks win. That way I get to bet on one side and rejoice on the other. I like those times. I like my birthday. But my sincere mind... When I'm faced with the predictions of holy prophets and the commandment of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through his holy apostles, I get drawn back to this great desire to just be with you, right? To be with the saints. To be thinking of the things of God. Not about my birthday party. Not about the Super Bowl. 
We have the kind of faith that even if you have scoffers who want to be chasing their own passions, you, by sincere reminder, sincere reminder, have been aroused to not live by your passions, but to know certain things about God. They deliberately ignore this fact that God made the earth and he destroyed the earth one other time in water. And that by that same word, he's going to destroy it again in fire. That's what they deliberately ignore. And then it tells us, verse 8, but do not ignore this one fact. They deliberately ignore that fact. We are not supposed to ignore another fact, which is, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. Should he not have mercy on 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? We're not just juggling my passions against an immediate thrilling rapture to the heavenly realms so that you can have it all be proved right. So you can see it happening, see it coming, so you don't have to, you don't have to, what does it say in Romans 8? Hope that is seen is not hope. Why are you running around trying to have an end times view that will give you something to look at so you have something to believe in? You hope in God. You trust Him. God is merciful. All that time we've waited, the Apostle knew we were going to be waiting all that time. And he knew we were going to be taken again in the shorts from some secular humanist or some doubting liberal Christian who says, well, yeah, what about the prophecies? When's it going to happen? God is merciful. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. And the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. So there. That's just hung out there. It's hung out there as an unfulfilled as yet promise. You're going to decide whether or not you're going to believe in your urges. I don't care what they are, your urge for beauty, your urge for women, your urge for drink, your urge for power, your urge for being recognized in life, whatever the case, you would like to be pursuing that, but you have this awful suspicion that God's over here, so you've got to make fun of that for a while until the Christians start doing silly things with their views so that it even makes it look more suspect without deliberately ignoring that the world had to be created and two... The agent of a creator like that, who stands eternally, has a different relationship with how long things take. A thousand years a day, days a thousand years, doesn't really matter when you're eternal. And so he's primarily moved not by something that we would call speed, but something he would call mercy. He doesn't wish that any should perish. Aren't you glad that the prayers of the hippies in Southern California were not answered? You say, what prayers of the hippies? Well, back in the day, 
Mark and Roy remembers being those hippies down there at Calvary Chapel and everybody praying for Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, and you hadn't even been born yet. And those guys are down there praying. And Chuck Smith is saying, what did he say? He'd be surprised if they were still there in 1981. Because his view of the end times was wrong. But everybody was praying. Oh, it'd be so great. They had little stickers on their dashboard, because I hope you don't have this sticker. Uh, what's it say? Um, about if it's, there's the, suddenly no driver, basically. <laughs> Too bad for you, sucker. Because you're ungodly and you're going to suddenly die in a flaming car accident because the cab driver was a Christian and got raptured. And they have all these paintings. We grew up with these paintings of all, like of L.A. and all these bodies going up into heaven. I don't know what your view of those things are, but I think it looks a little bit better than the painting looked. So the Christians react with a silly way, but there's a struggle. We're believing in a merciful God whose mercies were felt by you. You have been the recipient of a mercy that God, because he did not count slowness as some counted slowness, that even though some in the first century said, okay, let's get this over with, God says, I don't think that way. I'm willing to even have it be mocked by people who pursue their passions, but those who don't ignore the fact that God made heaven and earth and has stored everything up for fire, and that he doesn't relate to finitude the way you do, you're so, you so say, well, what do you want, what do you want from me? I, I don't get to be a passionate, I don't get to be an idiot. The Christian over here who drafts and draws those pictures of the rapture, and the people over here who uh, make fun of it so they can find their way to be passionate. It says, verse here, 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you be? Oh, advice in lives of holiness and godliness. What kind of people? Well, you sort of assume holiness and godliness. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. The day of God, because of which the heavens will be kindled and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. Hastening that. Yeah, did you ever pause when you're thinking about the Lord's return and say, if I hasten this, the people I am looking at right now at work, at school, are going to die horribly. Not die physically horribly, die eternally horribly. Because God is going to baptize either with the Holy Spirit or he's going to baptize with fire. And since it's going to be dissolved, how do you go about it? Do you take on the Lord's mind that says, I don't count slowness as someone counts slowness? I want to be merciful to the lost? I don't want my life to be long so that I get to enjoy all the stuff and then find out after death whether it's all true. I want to be the kind of person who desperately wants it to all end now. But because I think like God, and I think mercifully like God, I want to be willing to not just live out a life patiently till I'm 98 years old like Mark and Roy's aunt, loving God, maybe dying horribly through a lot of pain because you got cancer in the end and it took you six years to die, but because you're paying for the mercy you feel for the world. You just say, Lord, I know I had to die, and I had to die somehow, 
But Lord, I want you to wait for the lost. He doesn't wish that any should perish, and I don't want any to perish. How many of you would like to have the Lord return right after you got the diagnosis of cancer? Right after. Too sweet. No chemo, no radiation. I'm a winner. And a lot of people are losers. What sort of persons ought you be given? But according to his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Even our hopes for the Lord's return, even if we're on the side, now not scoffing, but our hope in God ends up being a passionate hope, a hope that serves us. That not like God serves the next guy. Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We wait for something where righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you wait for these, be zealous to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You got some stuff to do. Scoffing's not one of them. Chasing your passions is not one of them. Coming up with stupid theories about the end times is not one of them. Drawing pictures of the rapture, not one of them. No spot, no blemish, at peace. You got it? There yet? Is your life as you leave here, or does this just say by the time you come back next Sunday, at peace? After a week of schoolwork or actual work, struggles with your family, problems with this, that, and the other thing, are you at peace? Are you blemished? Do you have a spot? Well, you're supposed to be using this time for that, not doing paintings with a rapture. Showing your devotion. The predictions are to know a God who made the earth and is going to make destruction and is viewing the time between that making and destroying it as an image of his mercy. Verse 15, and count the forbearance of our Lord as salvation. Just realize that I'm giving you another day to get it worked out. Giving you another day to finally go, yeah, remember I'm going to learn what I deserve to learn? Am I going to finally learn this? Am I going to deserve to find spotlessness and freedom from blemish and peace. You know my view that everybody ultimately that's what they want. They want peace. Are you there yet? Understand God's mercies for you. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Speaking of this as he does in all of his letters. Now we don't have a lot in St. Paul about end time stuff. He's not really big on that. He does push holiness and peace quite a bit. 
Now you say, I, I don't know. I read Romans and I just get really confused. Well, so did Peter. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you as according to the wisdom given him. In the same way, also, also. Speaking of this as he does in all of his letters, which makes us think that it's not the end times he's talking about. It's the holiness and the peace that he's talking about. Since he's claiming it's in all of Paul's letters, and then Peter, you get to realize that who he really is. He is a fisherman from northern Israel. There are some things in them hard to understand. An apostle struggled with it, folks. Okay? St. Peter's at a Bible study going through Colossians going, Oh! How do you work this out? So don't, you say, well, I, I'm not, okay, I might be dumb, but I'm dumb like an apostle. But the ignorant and the unstable twist these things to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. If we're not zealous to be without spot and blemish with that peace, if we're not remembering, being aroused by sincere reminder to listen to the predictions and listen to the apostles, teach us the commandment of God, when we get to Peter's predictions and Peter's command, and we get to, he points us to Paul and says, listen to him too, he writes about the same stuff, realize that you're, you've got a choice here. Are you going to be ignorant and unstable who spend your time twisting the scriptures? Now, I read, I'm, I'm not a professional. I do read a lot of uh, what Christians are saying in blogs on the interwebs. I don't read a lot of it because it's really depressing. But you have all sorts of people out there spending their time, spending their time twisting the scriptures. I mean, that's what they do. Trying to say, how do you get around Paul here? That's basically a, a thing at seminary you learn. Getting around Paul 101. And that's what they do. They don't like what he says about stuff. Some of the things that Leslie's going to cover at her good wife seminar are going to tell women's things they don't want to hear. And the question is going to be whether you're ignorant and unstable, twisting his words and all the other scriptures like that to serve you and your passions, or you therefore, beloved, verse 17, knowing this beforehand, that that's one of the options, beware lest you be carried away with the error of lawless men and lose your own stability. They are ignorant people, unstable people who twist the scriptures. You watch out for that, and your option is, but verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Ignorance or instability, grace or knowledge. We're a religion, Christianity. We're a religion in which there is a God named Jesus Christ, who is God Almighty. However you conceive of the Trinity to work, Jesus Christ, the Lord of our salvation, is God. However you combine that with Yahweh and the Holy Spirit, We serve these things. We want to grow in grace and knowledge of him. We're not trying to find a way to explain him and his apostles and his prophets away so I can follow the God of my own religion, which is me and my passions.
me and my stupidity. No matter how cynical and skeptical someone can sound and consequently makes you feel embarrassed. Say, I knew this going in. The Apostle Peter knew this going in. But I know the world was created by this God and the world will be destroyed by this God and I intend to be on the right side of the equation when all that happens. Be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I know you got a football game this afternoon that could either really disappoint you or cause a euphoria unlike man has known. Okay, because the Seahawks could win and Al could tear that jersey off of himself and dance around the living room in his Armenian splendor. <laughs> things, weird things could be happening today. They are not miracles. And I know there are a lot of Christians on the Seahawks team. But try to think about Monday, okay? When it's all done, when it's all over. Think about Monday and whether or not you're being zealous to be found by him a certain way. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful for the joys we have today. The gathering together with the saints. Remembering your son's death. We're grateful for the football game this afternoon, Lord. We trust we'll have a real good time. All these good gifts you've given us, we'd ask that we would honor you with leaning ourselves into the task that we uh, are told we have. That by Monday and Tuesday and the weeks following, we'd be removing the blemishes. We would be at peace. Have our lives be a testimony to the power of the gospel of your Son. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.